Mark 3, 20-35. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. May God's word shape and form us. Amen. Thank you. 
snout, you push down on her head uh, and always try to push her head down into the bark. Um, and, and one day, uh, as, they, as they were looking for or looking to feed the lizards, um, they couldn't find Lizzie, the female lizard. And they're like, where is Lizzie? Where is Lizzie? Where is Lizzie? And they just assumed because the top of the, the terrarium was that maybe she escaped. Maybe she got away. But a couple months later, while my friend was, while his father was cleaning up uh, this container, he saw a tail, a little tail, in the bar. And so he's like, what, what? He's digging around in the bar, and there was Lizzie, the same size as she was uh, when they lost her. Uh, at this time, the male lizard had doubled in size already, eating, eating, eating. And Lizzie was not dead, but in a state of hibernation, like really like slowed down, like all of her systems, and almost asleep, right, so that she could survive and play dead uh, and not be kind of dominated anymore. So she had just been very alive in, this, in, the, in the bar. And so he took her out, he petted her, he kissed her, he fed her, and eventually she doubled in size and grew, and life came back to her. Um, and uh, the kids were so happy when they saw her, heard the news, and they jumped up and down and they were so excited. Um, our Jesus, our God, looks for the Lizzie. In John chapter 3, right, it says, God so loved the world. He loved the world. He saw all his people out there, and people were hurting one another, right? People were being oppressed. People were at war. And he felt compassion and love and wanted to save people, right? And he saw the little tails in the bark, and he saw other lizards dominating smaller lizards, right? People dominating each other, right? Resources not being used fairly, injustice, right? And God loved that world and wanted to come in and bring peace, bring shalom, bring love, bring renewal, bring new things, amen? And new life. He, Jesus, sees the apparently dead things in the world, the dead people, and he sees the deadness in our souls, right? Have you ever felt deadness in your heart and deadness in your soul? Raise your hand. Yeah. Jesus sees those things and he comes in and feeds and loves and brings grace and mercy and the Holy Spirit and empowers people to live anew. Amen. Just like Lizzie coming out from the dead, our Jesus understands because Jesus himself died on the cross and was resurrected into new life so he knows how to bring dead things to life. Amen? And he can bring the dead things in your life, the dead relationships in your life, the hopes that have been dashed and are no longer alive, he can bring those things to life again and breathe new life into you. Woo! I don't I have a lot of notes here but I think this is going to be a no no <laughs> Hi, 
A up here, lizard. Then on the bottom, you have an A1, lizard, right? B1 would be red car. B2 on the bottom in a symmetrical mirror would be a car. You get it? All the way and to the middle is just the pivot point. And the whole point of that structure, of that mirror structure, that chiasm, that X, is to focus on the center. The center is the crux of the meaning. But in our passage, the X is that whole bit about Satan. Jesus talks about no one can uh, go into the house and like without binding Satan, right? Without binding the strong man, uh, because the house divided cannot stand, right? And and basically, and it goes off on the Holy Spirit. The only sin that's unforgivable is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? So that whole thing is the middle, and the end after the chiasm is Jesus' statement redefining family, right? Redefining the social norms, right, uh, the relationships, his identity as a person. You say, this is my family, my father, my brother, my sisters, but I say to you, my father, my brother, my sisters are these people. And so he's redefining things. So I'll leave that there and uh, press on. Jesus is literally and figuratively getting pressed in from all directions. Right. Our scripture says that there were a crowd and Jesus had entered the house with his disciples, his followers, and a crowd had gathered. Jesus was popular. People were drawn to Jesus. When they were around Jesus, they wanted to touch the hem of his robe. They wanted to hear him speak a word to them. They wanted Jesus to heal them, to touch them, so that they could heal the maladies, right? Or be have spirits cast out from them. And so the crowds would just build and build wherever he went. And so he enters into the house. And I can imagine me being an introvert. Man, I want some me time. <laughs> right? I want to go into my house, turn on my TV, and watch something. And I want to eat my food, a steak and some rice. Right? Steak and rice. <laughs> but Jesus is entering his house with his disciples. And the crowd follows them in. He's like, excuse me? You're coming in? They come into the house. And it says there's so it's so full in the house that he and the disciples were not even able to eat. If you imagine standing room only in the house and you're trying to eat, but you have T-Rex arms like this, and you're like, I can't eat. It's so crowded in here because there's so many people. So Jesus is literally getting pressed in from all directions. There is a ginormous, sweaty, spiritually and physically famished crowd pressing in to see him, to hear him, and to be touched by him. If even, if I could even brush by Jesus, if I could just get a glimpse of Jesus, maybe my life would change. Maybe something miraculous would happen. Maybe I can be healed. And so they're pressing in on him. It's a hot, hot mess. Right? It's like sweaty Seattle, and there's probably smoke from forest fires. Right? <laughs> coming up and invading our awesome air. It's a hot mess. And his disciples are being squeezed in. It's chaos. It's probably like what I imagine my mother's womb was like. <laughs> in there, just crunched in. I was born a twin, so there was another person there just, Space, 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 me! I will be the, the great 
rocking the boat, right? He's causing waves. He's stirring it up. We know this because the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, are also saying he's a madman. He must be possessed. He must have Satan in him because we put on, you know, we teach the law. We go to the synagogues and people don't respond like this. Right? There's no life like this. And Jesus runs around and people are like crowding him. He must be possessed, right? There's no inward looking, right? Maybe we're not teaching the right things. Maybe they see love in Jesus. Maybe they're drawn to him because God and the Holy Spirit is present. And so physically he's being pressed in on. And socially, politically, Right? And figuratively, he's being pressed in on by his family, by the religious leaders of the day, the teachers of the law, because he's not fitting into their expectations of what a Jewish son or a Jewish man, a rabbi, a teacher should behave or act. He's not hanging around the right type of people. He's not having the type, right type of gatherings. Right? These gatherings are protests. They're riots. They're unsanctioned. Right? And so they're like, this is messed up. We need to stop this guy. Are you feeling me? <laughs> we don't like what he's doing. But Jesus does not comply. He just won't fit in. Amen? Go figure the God of the universe not behaving, not rushing to jump into people's boxes. Not rushing in to jump into our boxes. Hey, Jesus, God, you're only alive and real if you answer this prayer of mine, right? Right tomorrow. Because I'm praying it. I never prayed 364 days of the year. Well, on this one day, I prayed, and you're not answering it, so you don't exist. Fit into my little prayer box. No wonder the God of the universe isn't compliant, right? Who is Jesus? And the, the best image I have of this is the Incredible Hulk. And I'm old school, so I, I grew up watching the real, like, Incredible Hulk TV show, right? With David Banner. And then Lou Ferrigno was the Incredible Hulk. Lou Ferrigno was Mr. Universe or whatever. He was a bodybuilder. And so he was this buff guy, and then David Banner was this mild-mannered scientist guy, nerdy guy. But then when he was angered, he'd be like, you don't want to know me when I'm angry. You don't want to make me angry. And then his eyes would go, Dee! And then he'd start turning green. And it'd show like his shirt would start ripping, because he's becoming Lou Ferrigno, this buff guy. His shirt is ripping, ripping, ripping. And uh, he's hulking out, right? And, and the mar is Hulk Marvel or? In the Marvel movies, it's like Hulk smash, right? Jesus is Hulk smash, right? We want to put on him our dainty clothes, right? Yeah, what are your little church clothes, right? Put on this little suit, right? Look right, right? Don't cause a scene. Don't protest. Don't talk about immigrants. Don't worry about the poor people, right? Don't worry about children who are getting shot in the streets. Just be safe and comfortable. Sit in this little box where we want you to be. You know, I get emails from people that say, you talk too much about race. You talk too much about justice. You talk too much about political things. And I'm like, 
forgive, that would forgive you. Does that make sense? Right? You have the right spirit in your house. And I couldn't do this unless I jacked up Satan. Right? Unless I bound up the strong man myself. I couldn't invade his house like this. So you got it wrong. Right? The reason why good things are happening here is because I'm binding up the strong man. Right? And if you, by you denying that power, denying the Holy Spirit, you're denying the very power that forgives you. Are you with me, church? Amen. When is the last time you've lived in the how can this be? Right? How can this be? In John chapter 4, Nicodemus, Jesus talks about in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must first be born again. And Nicodemus says, what? Born again? I've already come out of my mom's womb. How can this be? Right? The impossible. When is the last time you've lived in the impossible? The how can this be? And we've been in a series called Breakdown Moments. Right? Jesus is in the breakdown moments in our lives. What is a breakdown moment? A breakdown moment is a space where you are utterly broken down, where you feel incompetent, where you feel unsure of yourself, where you feel lost, vulnerable, and utterly dependent. But there's great possibility in uncertainty. Amen? Some of the hardest times in our lives are transitions. New job, new house, new place, new relationship, having moved from a long, from a long distance. Because the things that we had control of, we no longer have a control of. All of our comforts are gone. And so uh, it's really uncomfortable. And uncertainty, the level of uncertainty in transition in our lives is very high. But it's also, it's in transitions where we can grow the most as people because there's great possibility in uncertainty. Don't underestimate the I don't know moments. That space we don't have a category for. What is this? Just like Jesus' family, just like the religious leaders and teachers, they don't have a category for Jesus. And so when we don't have a category for something, we want to expel it from our presence. Get thee out of here, right? <laughs> Excommunicate. Banned. Right? We voted off the island. <laughs> and we don't have a category for that. In the spirit, our modus operandi, our MO, are all disintegrated as we put all that we are in submission on the table. We are Humpty Dumpty cracked and shattered for the better. What am I talking about? To blasphemy the Holy Spirit means to stubbornly claim citizenship in the strong man's house. We agree and accept his creed that says, this is the world and it runs according to my wisdom. But it sounds like sweet.
this mission, that's every that's the only thing that mattered to him. He redefines kinship. He redefines relationships. He redefines mother, father, brother, and sister by saying, "These, this is my family." And think about this: the implications of this as a church. This means who is your mother? Who is your brother? Who is your sister? Right? You know, growing up, growing up uh, in elementary school in Texas, you know, we used to pick on the play field, we used to pick teams. And who gets picked first, right? For football. Right? It's the best players, right? And we choose, we choose, choose, choose. It's, your, it's the best players or our friends are choosing each other, right? But as we grow up, nothing changes, right? We go to lunch and we sit at the cafeteria table. We sit with all of our friends, right? We sit with all of our friends. We don't sit with people we don't know or we're not used to or different than us, right? And in high school, we, a lot of us were part of cliques or groups or whatever, you know? I was like, uh, not just the jocks and not just the smart, nerdy AP. I was an AP jock, right? <laughs> In that, right? And there's all different kinds of groups. And you would think the people of God, the church, would be much better than the world at this. But it's not true, right? How segregated is the church of God? Right? 9 a.m., 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated time in our country. Why? Because we are dictated by our preferences and what makes us comfortable. And that's all the way down to, from music, to pace, to rhythm, to who's speaking, how he's speaking, what theology. And I would even venture to guess, right, there's some churches that would say, oh, you're in that political party? Oh, we don't vote that way, right? Or you're in this political party? Oh, we don't vote that way. Oh, you believe you're into those people? Well, we're not. And so because of these things, churches are segregated and divided. Um, you know, in conversations, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people about church planting because I'm a church planter. We're a church, we're a church plant. And I'm always talking about, you know, how to grow, how to make it, how to, you know, get off. The, and, and back in the day, in the 80s, church planting uh, took off because... Uh, they followed this model called the homogenous growth principle. Right? The homogenous growth principle is you show up in the suburbs and you draw all the same type of people, right? Middle class, white, whatever, suburban people who enjoy the same things. If you go for the commonality because birds of a feather flock all together, you're going to blow up and grow. And it worked, right? It's a boom, 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 boom. Um, and uh, and there's a lot to be said about that, but that is changing very rapidly around us, right? The mega church is I'm kind of on my soapbox, but the mega church is kind of like because people are realizing, man, the mega church is not addressing this homogenous principle is not addressing me, what I care about, what's affecting me, right? And uh, if we were to go by the homogenous
this growth principle, or kind of the categories of church planting that makes a successful blowing up church to become a mega church, how many people would not be in this room? I wouldn't be standing here, right? I'm not your quintessential church planter. I don't even have a tattoo. table.